drive to create things. You're a writer, a photographer, a musician, a maker. You're ready to make things happen. But chasing creative isn't always easy. Your time and energy go to your work, your family, and your life. Is it really possible to make space for the creative in your everyday? Here at the Chasing Creative Podcast, we believe you can. We're everyday creatives who have insights and action steps you can take today to make your creative plans happen. I'm Ashley Brooks, a freelance writer and editor at Brooks Editorial and a work-at-home mom of two. I would love to devote more time to creative writing, journaling, and blogging. And I'm Abigail Creeves, a writer and photographer behind Inkwells and Images. I'm also a work-at-home mom who is just beginning to learn the ropes of balancing a baby and everything else. And you are listening to the Chasing Creative Podcast. Before we dive into this week's episode, we'd like to introduce you to our very first sponsor, Jenny Moradis of Little Girl Designs. We love Jenny and her work in the creative space for a lot of reasons, but what we're most excited to share with you today is her newest project, Happy Journal, Happy Life. So many of us feel pressured to keep a traditional journal that doesn't always work for us. We sit around wondering what we're supposed to write about, or we feel like we haven't composed a worthwhile journal entry. And worst of all, these journals often end up crammed at the back of a closet and we never actually spend time reading what we wrote all those years ago. Jenny's idea in Happy Journal, Happy Life takes all the pressure out of daily journaling and brings back all the joy. In this new book, Jenny shares how drawing your day can ignite your creativity, boost your gratitude, and skyrocket your happiness in just 10 minutes a day. Happy Journal, Happy Life is a motivational book that leads you through Jenny's method for drawing the most joyful parts of your day. It's really low pressure and a really fun way to capture the moments you want to remember while feeding your creative energy by illustrating your life. And starting a happy journal can work for you even if you think you can't draw, because I am not a visual artist at all, but I've been playing around with doodling and drawing my day for a couple of days now, and it's been really fun to spend time next to my kids while they're coloring and they're drawing their pictures, and then I'm sitting there with them drawing in my happy journal. And it's been a really fun way to get my creative energy back up when I start dragging in the afternoon. And I really love that keeping a happy journal takes some of the angst out of the journaling process. So I don't feel the need to compose elegant, elaborate sentences that someday I'm probably going to cringe when I read them years down the road. So focusing on the really happiest parts of the day and translating them into small drawings that bring you back into that joyful moment years down the road, that is really a practice that we can get behind. We both think that Happy Journal, Happy Life can make a real difference as you pursue creativity and joy in your day. You can learn more and order your paperback copy at bit.ly slash happy underscore journal, or you can find links to the paperback and Kindle versions by visiting our show notes at chasingcreative.com slash habits. Well, welcome back to Chasing Creative. This is episode 13, all about building creative habits. And last week we chatted about goal setting for 2018. Actually, that was two weeks ago. Last week we talked about defining creativity. Anyway, um, Ashley and I, neither one of us made any true goals for the year. Or if we did, we didn't figure them out quite yet. Um, But we both know we'd like to really cultivate kind of deeper creative practices as the year progresses without a lot of structure or even kind of measurable statistics built in. Um, One way we really are anticipating being able to do that is to build creative habits. Um, I think building habits around our creativity is probably the best way we're going to be able to make any progress of any sort without having like concrete X number of words written this year or X number of essays pitched. And I think it'll help us this year, specifically in 2018, and then also kind of as we go forward, trying to continue working on creative projects the rest of our lives. What about you, Ashley? Yeah, I agree that I think both of us are resonating a little bit more with the idea of habits that are kind of just part of the fabric of your life rather than those specific go get them goals that are all measurable and, um, I don't know, the uh, high pressure almost they seem to be like it's the beginning of the year. You have to set your deadlines and you have to set your um, expectations for yourself. And that's just not the kind of season that I'm in. And sometimes I think that actually hinders my creativity a little bit. I think it's better for us anyway to cultivate creative habits or at least to think about it as creative habits, even if it ends up being the same thing as a goal. A habit is a nicer way to think about it. 
Yeah. And I like what you said about being part of the fabric of our lives. And I think that's what Chasing Creative has been all about is trying to weave this creativity that we want to do so desperately into the everyday and try to make it happen you know, when everything else seems to not want to let it happen for us is, is kind of the way life goes most of the time. Um, so do you have any creative habits that you have cultivated in the past and how did you really get started? So this was at first I was like, I really haven't had any creative habits, but then I thought about it and I realized that I didn't, they don't stand out to me because all of my creative habits are so ingrained in my daily routines that, (laughs) um, I just don't pay attention to them anymore. They're just there. So I do a fair amount of creative journaling throughout the week. It's not necessarily an everyday thing, but at least I would say two or three times a week, I'm picking up my journal and jotting down just whatever I'm feeling at the moment or something I want to remember or an idea. Um, And those usually oftentimes turn into personal essays or some of them have even become integrated with part of my novel idea. And so that sort of thing has kind of just worked its way into my life. I think that having a deadline with a group of people who are expecting something from me can be helpful because I find that I'm more apt to look for those creative ideas and to grab my notebook if I know I have an essay deadline coming up for Hello There Friend or in college I would do the same thing a little bit more regularly if I had an essay deadline coming up or a short story deadline. Something about that slightly structured group atmosphere really seemed to help just knowing that I'm going to have to write something by this date so I'd better start getting my thoughts flowing now. That is a good point. And having those other people kind of relying on you to bring something to the table makes it something that is actually important and a priority and not just something that you you kind of want to do if you have time and if you get done with something else that needs to be done. Um, so I think like having those somewhat of external accountability people or touch points maybe is a better word can really be helpful in instilling creative habits in ourselves. I know I've never written more and written more like consistently than when I was part of a critique group and had to actually be turning in pages at a certain day of the week and responding to other people's pages on a different day of the week. That was really helpful in kind of lighting a fire under me and making sure that I did stuff on a more regular basis than what I would if I was left to my own devices. Yeah, for sure. So how about you? Have you ever cultivated any creative habits? (laughs) Yeah, I love how a few episodes ago we talked about Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies because with that, you told me that I am an obliger. So I now have a name for this issue where I let everyone else's needs kind of dictate my day to day. And I've always done this for, you know, decades. Um, So now that I know that I am an obliger, at least I have a name for it. Um, I've always just kind of let priorities take over, just like I mentioned. Um, Unless I was accountable to someone else for my creative work, it never really got done. Um, I've on and off kind of gotten up before work to blog or to write, but that was at least two years ago, the last time I ever did that. I've also kind of cultivated a habit of maybe reading on my lunch hour instead of just eating at my desk, which I think was a very good choice the times that I chose to do it. Um, even just getting out of your own head and out of your actual like work work can really help refocus, um, not even just for my own creative projects, but for the work that I was doing for other people too. Um, I would say like right now, the only creative habit that I have that is consistent is that I'm really good at only doing things while Arthur is sleeping that I can't do while he is awake. So when he goes down for a nap, I don't fold laundry. I don't um, load the dishwasher. I don't do anything that is potentially possible to do while a baby is awake. And I just sit down and I work. And I've gotten really good at being able to go from you know, changing a diaper and laying a baby down for a nap to filling up my coffee cup, sitting at my desk and instantly entering work mode. And so that has been, I think, a good creative habit to at least cultivate. Yeah, it's 
incredible how becoming a mom can make you like turn on your work brain immediately because <laughs> you don't know how much time you're going to have. So there is mm-hmm. no opportunity to like, let me ease into this. And oh, I'm going to be distracted by I mean, you could still be distracted by social media, but you're a lot more likely when that time is ticking and it's nap time and you don't know when baby's going to wake up, you're a lot more likely to just get down to work and focus on the stuff that needs to get done. Um, And I totally agree that that happened as well for me, where when Hadley was a baby, I was all about getting stuff done during nap times. And that was always my answer if people asked how I was still working. And now it's gotten a little bit trickier because Hadley doesn't nap anymore. So during Reagan's nap times, I'm like, okay, is Hadley in like a good enough mood for me to be able to work on something right now? So it's gotten a little bit trickier because sometimes Hadley like needs more attention than other days. And Mm -hmm. it's been trickier. But I agree that if your kids are at all occupied doing something else and you have a chance to like take a few minutes alone, even if it's not much, um, learning to flip that switch and get down to work really quickly is a great habit to have. And I think I found too that, and I don't, maybe this is something that you do as well. Like the, the tasks that I have, like the list is always really long, but there's always something that's due sooner than everything else. Like there's always like a next most important thing on the list. And at least for my work Mm -hmm. stuff, it's really easy to keep that straight. Like I know when my deadlines are, I know when I have this pocket of time, I have to work on this thing. Um, So even like knowing that um, for this client on Monday mornings, this is the absolute first thing I do as soon as Arthur goes down for his nap, means that I don't even sit down at my desk and wonder what kind of thing should I work on now? It's it's kind of already top of mind and I just sit down and I start doing it. Yes, that definitely helps. So another creative habit that I have cultivated over the years, um, it's not one that I have returned to lately, but when I was younger, I used to be very musical, I guess. Um, I played piano for six years and I played flute and piccolo for 10 years. And as anybody who's ever been in the music world knows, the constant refrain that you're hearing from your teachers is that you're supposed to be practicing a half hour every day and you go to your lessons next week and they'll be able to tell if you didn't practice. (laughs) And it was really horrible for me. Like I hated sitting down and practicing. I would always sneak out of the piano room and like turn down the timer by a couple of minutes and hope my mom wouldn't notice that it was not a full half hour. Yeah, because I hated doing those boring songs in lesson books that they give you where, you know, you're playing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, and it's really boring. Over and over and over. Or just, you know, not getting to pick your own music because you've got to learn the techniques first. And of course, now I understand that there's, you know, a reason for that. But when you do get to sit down and pick your own music, I would sometimes pick out pieces that were harder than I should have been able to play. And I would work at them and eventually learn them and master them because they were more fun. They were more interesting. You know, I would pick out like Disney pieces and things like that because I was like 10. So making creativity more fun, or if there's even something that you need to get a lot of practice at that might feel like more of a chore just so that you can get to that more fun level of creativity. Like if you're learning how to knit and you just need to practice that knit stitch until you get it, Um, you can't really make anything fun until you've got that down. So getting those basics and those fundamentals, if there's a way to make it fun, I think is really helpful. And that also makes me think of the happy journal because that is such a laid back, relaxed, fun habit that's way easier to do in my mind than just a typical daily journal or even a bullet journal where you have to worry about all those layouts and you've got your to-do list and your task list in there and just sitting down and being able to draw the best parts of your day and just kind of absent-mindedly doodle and not have to worry about any sort of productive output I think is um, a really great way to get a new habit started that's a little bit more fun. Yeah no I like that and especially thinking in terms of a happy journal where like you said it's just random doodles and things that remind you of parts of your day that were really happy there's not even a word count to stress about no one is counting Mm -hmm. those words so you don't have to kind of be on top of your word count for the day it's it's purely just for fun 
Yeah. Have you ever used that at all in your life where something was like more fun so it became a better habit? Like reading potentially, since we always think reading is fun. (laughs) We always think of reading. Um, Probably not in the last couple of years. Everything's been pretty, you know, productivity focused for me, Um, Mm -hmm. kind of getting the next thing done that needs to get done. Um, I don't know, purely for fun. I painted, I took a lot of art classes in high school. I actually ran out of art classes on our like art, I went to a very small high school, um, but I ran out of art classes to take. So my art teacher and I just made new ones for me. Like, oh, oh next fun. semester, I'm going to do advanced oil painting, which is not actually a class that's on our roster, but we'll do it anyway. And so a lot of times I would find myself doing kind of an independent study in the back of our one big art room while my art teacher actually taught like second grade art class. So that was a lot of fun. That does sound fun. And I didn't realize that you used to paint. Yeah. So painting, drawing, um, used to probably before I got married. I think I got married and then got a full-time job and life just kind of went downhill in the creative department from there, as it usually does. Well, and as we've talked about before, painting is one of the more difficult creative arts as far as budget and logistics. (laughs) So I can see how that would be an easy one to fall by the wayside as a newlywed or when you're going into college and all those transition times. Mm -hmm. And you don't have any place to set up an easel or anything like that. So, so yeah, I haven't done it in a while. I keep thinking that I'm someday going to get back to it. And I actually thought about it while I was pregnant. I was like, ooh, I should paint before this baby arrives. But they tell you kind of not to handle caustic chemicals while you're pregnant. So oil painting is out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, there's still plenty of time left in your life in general. You know, I mean, sometimes I think we talk about this like, oh, our lives are over now. We have children. It's like these children (laughs) will grow up. We have hopefully many decades left in which to pursue all these new creative things. So (laughs) something to look forward to when we're empty nesters many, many years down the way. Indeed. Um, Do you have any other creative habits that you are currently working on or trying to instill into your everyday? I don't think so. Like getting more writing time in is always a big one for me. But then I look at Mm -hmm. how much time I actually do spend writing between my handful of creative writing commitments and then all my client work. And I'm like... It's not like I'm slacking. Like, I write quite a bit. I tallied up all the words I wrote in 2017, and it was the length of, like, a 450-page novel, I think, if I had, like, added up all the words together. And I'm like, you know, I know that those are spread over very short writing assignments and blog posts, but that's still a lot. So Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm slacking. I think I'm doing okay, and I just need to make sure that I... Uh, save enough of those words for myself and not just for paid work (laughs) yeah no that's that's really smart Um, I have you set up any kind of creative goal for reading this year I know you are kind of cutting back on your creative reading goal so that you can do more writing I am yeah I'm actually publishing a post about it on my personal blog um it'll be out by the time this episode goes out but um so I can link to that in the show notes but I've decided to read more deeply and worry less about how much I'm reading in 2018 so I set my Goodreads goal at 35 and I'm like if I miss it and don't get there I don't really care so cool um I feel like 35 is still a decent number of books but it's not Mm -hmm. going to push me to the point where I'm like oh I'm gonna read instead of doing something else because I don't want Goodreads to tell me I'm behind (laughs) (laughs) yes that is like a weird pressure rubric is when Goodreads is like you're two books behind schedule so far I've kind of unconsciously started trying to pick the habit back up of reading before bed. I've gotten out of that habit with um, Arthur in tow, just because by the end of the night, I'm just toast and I just want to crawl into bed or, you know, zone out in front of the TV um, with Scott. And our Christmas Eve tradition the past few years has been to kind of follow the Icelandic tradition of everyone gets to open a book on Christmas Eve and then you stay up as late as you want reading with chocolate and that to me is the perfect thing to do sounds amazing Uh, so we started doing that on christmas eve a few years ago and so this christmas eve we all opened our books and we sat up and read with christmas candy and i was like this feels really good and then you go to sleep and i always feel like i sleep so much better 
after I read something. I don't know if that's just me reading into the situation or not. Um, So since Christmas Eve then, I've been trying to just read at least like maybe even just one essay before bed. I know right now I'm working through um, Bread and Wine by Shauna Nyquist. And so the essays are like three or four pages. They don't take hardly five minutes to read some of them. And so just doing something really small and really manageable, but that's purely just for enjoyment has been really good for me. Mm -hmm. I love books of essays for exactly that reason, because they're usually very digestible and you can be like, Mm -hmm. oh, even if you did stay up and watch some TV, you don't usually feel that bad taking the extra five or 10 minutes to squeeze in an essay before bed. So that's a really lovely habit to start cultivating. And I like that it's not driven by like how much you're reading on Goodreads Mm -hmm. or like keeping up with a random number that you just picked for no reason. It's like, no, I just feel better (laughs) when I read before bed. So I'm going to do that. I wonder how we would all feel if we just took habits that made us feel better and instituted them in their lives. I am personally looking at yoga for myself here. Oh yeah. Yoga is, I miss it so much. I've just come to the point where I'm like, I can't do yoga while I'm pregnant, even prenatal yoga. I'm like, I'm just too round for this. (laughs) I need to (laughs) just wait until I am not with child anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That happens. But even just stretching would probably be good for all of us, even if it wasn't just yoga. And now that I'm saying this out loud, it reminds me of my prenatal yoga class. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, Back when I was going, one of the things that the teacher would have us do, which was a little hokey, but I don't know, it was yoga. So you kind of go along with it, Mm -hmm. was everyone would sit in a circle before we started our prenatal class and we'd all go around and we would share like how many weeks along we were and how we were feeling and if we were having any issues that we wanted to bring up and ask advice about or has anyone else found relief for these middle of the night calf cramps that weirdly pop up when you're pregnant at some point. And one of the things that one girl had said was, I started, you know, before I go to bed at night, just stretching out the parts of me that really, really need it. I do not have the energy to do an entire yoga routine and spend an hour on my mat before I climb into bed every night but I can at least do one or two poses that make me feel better and that help me sleep better. And I was like, duh, I don't have to do a whole yoga routine every time I feel like I should do yoga. I can just do the poses that target the areas I need. And I don't know why that was so life-changing for me, but it was. And I feel like that's even applicable to our creative life too. Like you don't have to sit down and write a five-page journal entry every time you think you said journal. If you write four sentences and that's what you needed to get down on paper, that is what you needed to get down on paper. Yeah, that is kind of genius. Just like taking what you need and using that as your or the basis for your habit. Because sometimes if you do have more time or more energy, you might end up doing more yoga, like more than just one or two poses. I mean, are you going to do a full hour? Probably not, but you might eventually expand that um, into like a longer routine at night. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's just a good place to start with habits is like, start where you are, start with what you need and don't put so much pressure on it. I know what is the the saying that they always say, like, if you want to start a flossing habit, just floss one tooth, but you're Mm -hmm. never going to (laughs) stop at one tooth because that would be dumb. So you just go ahead and floss all of them. But just getting out the floss is kind of the hurdle you have to get over. Yeah, it's funny. My dentist is always like, you actually floss. Like people say that they floss, but they don't. They were like, you actually (laughs) floss. And I'm like, the only reason I floss is because I have one tooth or two teeth, I guess, one space between my teeth that always gets food stuck in it. And so I always after dinner floss that one tooth because there's always food stuck in it. And Mm. then I was like, it's the one tooth thing. Like, you're not going to floss just one tooth. So I'm like, so since I'm there, I just floss. And they're like, oh, so that's actually kind of cool for you. I'm like, yeah, if I didn't get food stuck in my teeth every night, I would not floss. I wouldn't be a flosser. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You'd be like the rest of us, non-flossing plebeians. Yes. So have you ever tried a creative habit forming tactic that just has not worked for you? You know, as a writer, we are often told or encouraged to do a daily word count. 
And those have never worked particularly well for me. I have tried them in the past and they've always ended up feeling really restrictive or like they just don't work with my particular writing process. Um, For me, most of my process, or not most of it, but a good chunk of it takes place in my head just while I'm going around my everyday life. Um, I'll be thinking over what I want to write about or what message I really want to get at in a certain blog post or essay, or maybe think about a different angle I could take on something or how I could untangle some section that's not working. And it just takes a lot of thinking and kind of coming at something sideways. And it's not words on the page, but I feel like that time should still count towards a creative Mm -hmm. habit. And I always got resentful of the word count because I would be like, well, I've already been thinking about this and I feel like sitting down now and trying to write my 500 words or whatever is just going to be forcing something that's maybe not ready yet or it's going to be me starting a new piece of writing when I still need to be letting this other one kind of percolate on the back burner. And it's just word counts have never worked for me. I don't know. Have you ever done well writing to word counts or anything like that? I have not. I think you and I have chatted about this before too. Word counts make me feel a lot of pressure to just spew words out onto a page that I hit that target number, but they're not usually very quality words. So I end up having to go back and delete them anyway. And they're not even usually like pieces of writing that can be made into something else. They're just filler that doesn't have anything to do with the finished product. And so for me, word counts tend to just, I tend to write to the word count, like I'm taking a test, but it's not actually teaching me anything or getting any words on the page that actually matter. So I've kind of given up on word counts um, entirely, which is maybe a bad thing. Maybe I should care a little bit more, but they just, they don't seem to work for my personality type. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure there are people that that works really well for, so I don't want to sound like we're like bashing on word counts or anything (laughs) like that, because I know they work for instilling habits in a lot of people, but for me, they are just not not a great thing. And um, I also tend to resist having an accountability partner. So um, unlike what we were saying earlier, where having external accountability can be helpful, I find it helpful if there's like a group of people or a deadline Um, like a submission deadline, I guess, or a critique deadline. But having just a person that I call or meet up with once a week or email every day or something feels so arbitrary to me. And it almost feels like, um, I don't know, I just, I don't feel like I'm letting that person down if I'm not doing my work. I feel like I'm letting them down if I don't hold them accountable. And then I'm like, well, that's just one more thing on my plate. And like, I don't want them judging how much I put out. And I'm like, it just doesn't work for me. So like one-on-one accountability partners without any outside structure are not my thing. Yeah, no, I get that. And I always feel like too, if it's just a one-on-one relationship and especially if you're either really good friends with the person or like it's a stranger on the internet, you're always way nicer to them than maybe you should be if you're an accountability partner. Mm -hmm. And maybe this is just my Midwestern niceness. Um, But if that person's like, oh, I've had a really rough week and I haven't written, I'm like, that's okay, you'll write next week. And the same thing for myself, like, oh, you know, I've had a really rough week, I haven't written anything. And then they're like, oh yeah, well, no big deal, you'll write next week. And I feel like it's not accountability so much as exchanging emails that's like, oh, I didn't get this done, I'm sorry, maybe next week. Yeah. Back and forth, over and over again. Yeah, it's just too arbitrary. There's no, like, backbone behind it. Maybe there Mm -hmm. are people who have found, like, I feel like it would work better if you had like a real life friend and you have like the right relationship dynamic to be able to, Mm -hmm. you know, shoot straight with each other and like actually be like, no, you could have done that and you didn't. That was dumb. Why did you do that? (laughs) So like, (laughs) I don't know, maybe we just need like harsher accountability partners in our lives or something, but um, that hasn't worked out for me before. So How about you? Is there anything that you have tried to do to stick to a habit that has not helped you? Not that I can think of. It's mostly been in like the tracking or um, 
you know, word count kind of thing or minutes writing, like I'm going to spend half an hour doing this, but then like, oh, I only have 27 minutes to do today. Like I'm a failure kind of thing. And it just doesn't work for me to kind of track things that closely or with numbers set to them. Um, Yeah. It just, it just doesn't really work. Yeah. I feel like we're like the rebels of the habit forming world because we're taking like everything that people tell you to do to form a habit. And we're like, we don't like this. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of times too, those, you know, seven ways to make more time for your writing career articles, don't take into the account that other people do have claims on your time. I feel like a lot of the time they're written for you know, single people who don't have children or people who don't have day jobs or that kind of thing. I feel like a lot of the time they're written for people who, or they just assume that the audience is someone that can make any decision that they want to, and they have no factors to take into account. Yeah, I agree. There are a lot of websites that I follow that I really enjoy, but um, they seem to be writing to an ideal audience who is not me. So, um, either freelancers who are like completely freelancers, like, you know, no spouse, no kids at the very least, no kids and the freedom to adjust your schedule, however you wish, or, you know, websites like the every girl, which has some good articles every now and then, but I'm like half of them I look at and I'm like, I can't do this. I am married and I have children. Like (laughs) you are clearly talking to someone who is like a 20 something. Okay. I'm 20 something, but a younger, maybe a younger 20 something (laughs) or a 20 something who just, um, has not procreated. So like kids and a day job really do, um, kind of not necessarily put a damper on things, but they definitely restrict your schedule and you need to be able to work Mm -hmm. around that in a way that works for you. Yeah. I remember kind of along those lines, a very well-known like productivity goal setting person that, I mean, a lot of people would recognize saying something to the effect of like, I think everyone should take a two to three weeks sabbatical every year in order to hammer out their goals for the next year. And I just remember like one of the comments on the article was, um, excuse me, this is real life and normal people just cannot do that. Who are you talking to? Like, who is your audience? Yeah. Like how many people even get three weeks vacation time from work? Or if you do, do you really want to use those three weeks vacation time on goal setting or do you want to take a vacation? Yeah, (laughs) well, exactly. Or even not even if you want to take a vacation, like what if you get two weeks of vacation and your family lives really far away and you need to use one of those to go visit them? Like not everyone gets to just choose willy nilly what they do all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, there was, there was a uh, sidetrack for us all, but something yes. to be learned. Not every article that's telling you how to do things is telling you how to do things. <laughs> so. There's a quotable right there. I like that. I need to like hang that up on my wall. <laughs> nice. The emphasis added. There you go. Yes. Good um, for us all to remember. <laughs> so in our, our crazy busy lives where we don't always get to choose what we're going to do next, how do we um, choose what to give up or what not to do in order to make room for more creative habits? Because I know most of us can't just add something new to the day. Something has to be let go in order to make room for something new. Yeah. So, um, like you mentioned earlier, I realized that I have actually cut back on TV. I don't watch as much as I used to, or where Jacob and I used to go through and like, make sure that we found a show we would both like. Um, more recently he has picked out shows that he will watch and that I'm not super interested in. And I'll just sit there and read. But now lately, like I mentioned, I've also started trying to cut back on reading because I realized (laughs) that if he's going to be, um, you know, watching TV for two hours at night, I could take that first hour and spend it writing. And then I still have an hour to, you know, sit and chat with him or sit and read. And I'm not really losing out on anything. So reading is currently the thing that I'm cutting back on. But I think that TV has also been one that's kind of just been a natural progression in the last year or so. Okay. How about you? Uh, I am not giving up anything currently, I don't think. Maybe some TV, like choosing to read over top of TV. Um, but I know several years ago, I kind of made the somewhat conscious choice to just stop wearing makeup. I don't wear eye makeup. I don't wear mascara or eyeliner or anything because it takes 
it doesn't seem like it takes that long, but I feel like it takes at least 10 minutes to put on every morning and then another 10 minutes or so to take off every evening. And I just kind of felt like makeup was something that I could easily get rid of since I sat in front of a computer and didn't see anyone in my day job anyway. Like nobody was looking at me, so who cared? And then I would get those, you know, 20 to 30 minutes back every day and get to do something else instead, which to me was a total perfect A plus trade off. Um, And I kind of save a lot of money because I don't buy makeup anymore. So that's pretty great. (laughs) Yeah, I know that like makeup and makeup artistry and all that is like a form of creative outlet for Mm -hmm. some people, but it's not for me either. And my makeup routine was always pretty simple and now Mm -hmm. that I'm home with the kids all the time it's pretty much gone away like I don't (laughs) I wear makeup like if I'm going to see people and sometimes if I'm like I'm going to Target maybe I should like do something (laughs) but generally not even that so yeah that can definitely save you some time especially if you're not great at makeup it takes a surprising Mm -hmm. amount of time to like blend in I don't know, foundation and cover up and stuff. I don't even know the words. Yeah, yeah the whole contouring thing has just skipped us entirely, which is yes. fine. <laughs> yeah, so that was one thing for me that just, it was something that wasn't necessarily adding value to my life. And I still own makeup and I put it on mostly when I'm going to get my picture taken, like for weddings and things <laughs> like that. Um, the times where you need makeup in your life. But otherwise, I just have kind of given myself permission to not do that anymore. Um, And then along those same lines, I've also given myself permission to just stop reading books that aren't good. And I know that's kind of a trend right now, but if you don't enjoy a book, you don't have to finish it. Or if you get three chapters in and you're like, meh, this just isn't for me. It's nonfiction and you're like, meh. Don't really buy this premise. You don't have to keep reading the book. You can put it down. You can take it back to the library. You can donate it to the secondhand store and not feel any guilt for not finishing it. Yes, that's a good one. And I know some people are like, we have to finish this book. It just feels really incomplete if I don't. Mm -hmm. And that was a habit that I was able to break after college because I was like, I have spent four years reading books that I wish I could throw across the room. (laughs) And I'm done with that now. So it's a freeing experience, especially when you think about all the other books out there that you want to read that are probably better that you would enjoy more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My other thing that I cut back on... um, I didn't necessarily do it specifically to make time for more fun things, but it's kind of been a byproduct. I don't clean the house very often. (laughs) Like I cleaned yesterday, I think for the first time in like three or four weeks because um, someone was coming over and we were having company. And I was like, this is the first time that like all of the main living areas of our house, like bathroom and kitchen and living room have been actually clean at the same time in probably three months (laughs) no shame in that (laughs) I know I kind of agree with that Scott and I tend to be anti-clutter people so even after Arthur goes to bed we go around and like pick up all the toys and put them back in the box that's sitting next to them but I'm not Mm -hmm. I hate vacuuming I hate vacuuming with like a living passion and I don't even know why except that maybe because we have cats and so you vacuum and you immediately see more cat hair so oh get the Roomba get the Roomba you'll love it (laughs) it's it's on my wish list we'll uh we'll see if I can make that happen someday I cannot believe how much cat hair I only have one cat you have two I can't believe how much cat hair that thing picks up and even like cat hair mixed with crumbs and things from the children Mm -hmm. when I thought the floor was relatively (laughs) clean I'm just like okay I never die on me robot vacuum because now I need you (laughs) that is hilarious I like it Um, well and we have all like hard surface floors like we don't have any carpet so vacuuming isn't even like hard it's just like pushing the vacuum around with the hose to pick up all the stuff but I just I hate doing it I just hate it Fair enough. So we are, I don't know, I I won't speak for you, but I will say that my house is not a super cleanly place. And maybe (laughs) because of that, I will be able to write a novel and then I can justify like, it's okay. I didn't clean my house for five years. I wrote a book. It's fine. No, no big deal. No big deal. I don't know. I think as long as, I mean, you don't have critters moving into your house because of the level of dirt, you're, you're fine. 
Yeah, no critters yet, but there is definitely a level of disgusting that we have reached where I was like, I never thought I would tolerate this much filth in my mm. daily life, but suddenly I'm okay with it. <laughs> Two and a half kids in, here's here's where we go. Yes. <laughs> I like it. Um, so aside from not vacuuming as often as we maybe both should, any tips for finding a way to form habits that really work for your lifestyle and or personality that you've discovered? So kind of like we were saying earlier, I think that if you want to really integrate a habit into your life instead of making it like a one-time achievable goal kind of thing, um, it's easier to start simple and just make those easy little things like you were saying with the yoga, like just one or two stretches and see where that goes. Um, It's a lot easier to build on those things than it is to just try to jump right into something that feels big and intimidating and you know, like a smart goal, it's got to be measurable and it's got to have the deadline and be actionable. And it's like, sometimes that's not the place to start for everybody. Yeah, no, that is a really, really good point. If making a big list of all of your goals or breaking a goal down into those measurable, actionable sections, like terrifies you and you know, you're never going to sit down and do it. Like, don't worry about it. Just pick what you want to do and start doing it and don't worry about keeping track of it or measuring it or making it actionable like those aren't things that are part of everyday life and you don't have to make them part of it if you don't want to yes how about you do you have any tips for forming habits that work for you yeah Um, if you have the luxury i say work with your own energy levels and i know a lot of people who have a day job don't necessarily get to choose when they go to their day job every day i know i never did Um, but if you're able to structure your day so that your creative work can get done when you have like the best amount of energy or your clearest energy for me this is always in the morning Um, But if you don't do your best work in the morning, don't try to force a creative habit and get up early to make time for whatever it is you're doing. If so, you just won't want to do it. And I think you should want to do your creative things. Yes, very true. And sometimes like creative work doesn't always happen at the time that you would assume it should. Mm -hmm. So like if you are naturally a night owl and like all of your ideas come to you at night don't try to be that person who wakes up at 5 a.m and writes your 500 words before you go to work because that's what all the books say you should do (laughs) like that's not gonna work for you so don't do it (laughs) yeah and likely if you're not a morning person 5 a.m is not going to be a productive hour for you you're not going to get as much done with your time as if you know, you're a 8 p.m. kind of girl and you need to wait until then and have kind of like a wind down routine from your day and then set aside time that you can spend on yourself before you go to bed. I think if that's if that's your jam, run with it and don't feel like you have to change your life to fit someone else's ideal. Yes, totally true. I also think that I know we said that we don't really like tracking habits, but I think sometimes if you are a visual person being able to see how a habit is coming along for the first month or so while you're just trying to get into that rhythm can be helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm a really visual person and I really enjoyed when I was using Lara Casey's power sheets. I liked being able to see like I, I didn't necessarily pressure myself to make sure that I did something every day. But I liked being able to have that record and look back and see, okay, how many days a week am I realistically working this in? Mm -hmm. And do I care enough about this thing to make it a daily habit? Or is it meant to be maybe more of a every other day or a couple times a week or even once a week? Mm -hmm. Um, Or is this just not realistic for my life at all? Maybe I don't care about it enough. So sometimes having that visual tracker can help you see if a habit is fitting into your life or if something about it needs to change. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, And I think you've mentioned before uh, keeping a chain, like the the, the really simple, um, you know, pull up a blank calendar page and every day that you do something, you put an X through it and you want to like keep the streak going as long as possible is how Mm -hmm. to help visually form that habit for you. I think that can work for a lot of people. For me, if I see like blanks on the days that I missed, I just feel horrible and stop doing things entirely. So it does not work for me. 
Yes. And that is fair. Um, (laughs) It's not going to work for everybody. It's just kind of a take it or leave it. Um, Another app that I've heard, I've never used it before, but I've heard a lot of people mention it on productivity podcasts and things is the Habit Streak app, which we will link to in the show notes in case you're interested in a digital form of that. So other than kind of working in your own energy levels and starting really simple, um, the other thing that I think we should all take into consideration too is what is the purpose of the habit? And you and I have talked about this. If it's one you feel you should be doing or one that actually really lights you up at the prospect of doing it. I know you've said, Ashley, that you only ever work towards goals that you actually are really invested in and not ones that you feel like you should be doing, which is kind of the opposite of a lot of the population. We tend to do things that we feel we ought to be doing more than things that are like internally motivated by just ourselves. Um, so mm-hmm. sometimes we just need to take a step back and say like, do I actually want to do this thing or do I just think I should want to do this thing? And if it's the latter, like don't try to create a habit around it. Instead, focus on something you'd really actually rather do. Yes, I totally agree with that one because I think it's so easy to set goals or to try to start a new habit just because we think we're supposed to like oh we want to be writers so we should write 500 words every day or oh I want to start a blog so I should blog twice a week or once Mm -hmm. a week or whatever it is and it's like you get to make up the rules this is your life like you don't have to do the goals that everybody else is doing so take the time to really think about what you want your life to look like No, I love that. And you know, for you and I, we want our life to look like it has more books in it almost all the time. I know we're both (laughs) trying to read less, but we still want books all the time. Um, So what have you been reading lately that you want to talk about here on the podcast? Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. So I read The Bear and the Nightingale by Catherine Arden. And this book was magical. I like it already. It's on my list. So I'm excited to hear a review. Yes. So it's set in medieval Russia and it is sort of a mashup. I don't know if I would go quite so far as to call it historical fiction, although it does have a very strong sense of place. Um, But it's a fantasy that is sort of a new spin on Russian folklore and um, Russian mythology and some of their um, pagan religious history. So there are lots of deities, we'll call them, like pagan deities. Um, And then one of the main ones is the Frost Demon that we would probably relate to as Jack Frost. Um, So it focuses a little bit on him and then this girl named Vasya and her family and the way that this book is written is just so incredible. The writing is gorgeous. Um, it reminded me a lot of The Night Circus because it has Ooh. a very strong sense of atmosphere, that sense of like magic just hovering in the air. Mm-hmm. It's also because it took place in medieval Russia. Um, a lot of it, and it was about a frost demon, a lot of it was very cold. Um, there were lots of descriptors of the cold, and we are just coming off of a two-week stretch <laughs> here in the upper Midwest where we barely got above zero <laughs> for like two weeks, two and a half weeks, I think. So I was also reading it at the perfect time yeah. because they were describing how cold it was, and it was. I was like, I'm really yes. cold right now, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. I would so highly recommend this book if you like the night circus or if you like fantasy or any sort of a twist on folklore or fairy tales i think you would really enjoy this one and it's the first in a trilogy as well so there's more to come well i love all of those things i think the night circus is probably in my top five favorite books of all time so i will be bumping up the bear and the nightingale to add to my list and i feel like after reading lee barduke Bardugo, Bardugo's books, mm-hmm. um, the Grisha trilogy, and then Six of Crows and its sequel, which I cannot remember right now. Um, oh, Crooked Kingdom. Crooked Kingdom. Thank you. <laughs> yes. um, which also took place in like, they didn't take place in Russia, but they were drawing on a lot of those Russian myths as well. I feel like mm-hmm. I definitely have an appetite for more of that. So I'm, I'm really going to look forward to this one. Thank you. Yes, I think you would really like it. So 
And you said that you have been working through bread and wine, right? I have been. So uh, 2018 kind of started off on a rough foot for us. Arthur got his first cold. He came down with it on December 30th, like the fever and the congestion and all that fun stuff. Um, So we rang in the new year, like I rang in the new year sleeping like on the mattress on his floor so that every time he started coughing, I could like help him and then get him back to sleep. Um, so 2018 did not start out auspiciously for me over here and I just needed some good comfort food. So I started reading Bread and Wine by Shauna Nyquist. Again, it's one of my favorites and um, it's kind of fitting my life right now. It's easy to pick up and put down because it's just a collection of tiny, tiny little essays. So I'm able to read it at night before bed without like really committing to a chapter or two and it's just it feels like home if that is allowed to be a descriptor of a book Mm -hmm. Um, but over and over again she talks about how gathering your people around a table is kind of a sacred space and it you know leaves so much more room for community and things when you are um, being intentional about being a good host and not just a good like party planner or party thrower and that to me speaks volumes I over get I always get a little overwhelmed by thinking of like having people over for dinner and making some big to do about it and I like that the book just talks a lot about um, yes it has recipes and tips for hosting and things like that but also it's a lot about um, how being present over having things being perfect is much more the goal of being a hostess and I think that's what I need to hear in the season of life like have the people over yes there are baby toys strewn about the place but no one is really going to care invite them into your life and they will be there and that's that's a good message yeah I just read that one it was right before Christmas I think it wasn't too long ago um on your recommendation and I would agree I definitely got a comfort food kind Mm -hmm. of vibe from that book and I did enjoy how accessible she made hospitality and I do get the feeling that she has a more extroverted personality than I do because yes. I'm like how do you have so many friends where do they all come from I'm like <laughs> I can't imagine having that many friends and so it kind of made me think like oh maybe I should get more friends to invite to my house but um still a very good wintertime read and definitely a good pick-me-up for a rough start to the new year yeah. and I do like too how all of her friends, like they seem to pick up where they left off last time. So even if they don't live in the same state or the same time zone or whatever, they uh, they tend to to just pick up where they left off. And I think those are the best kind of friendships. I know a lot of times we get busy and we don't have time yes. to like call a friend every day. I don't know when the last time, if I've ever called a friend every day in my life. Um, but being able to to reconnect after a long time away has been really good with certain people. Yeah, very, very true. So... All right. Well, two good books for people to check out this week. That's excellent. So, well, we will chat with everyone next week. Have a good week. Thanks for listening to the Chasing Creative podcast. If you like what you heard in this episode, be sure to stop by ChasingCreative.com to check out the show notes, catch up on past episodes, and subscribe to the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd leave us a review on iTunes. You can also join in the creative conversation by tweeting to us at Abigail E. Creeves or at Brooks Editorial, or by using the hashtag Chasing Creative on Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like to help us bring this podcast to life each week, find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash chasing creative. And if you have any feedback for us, drop us a line at chasingcreativepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go chase your creative.